But in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 7, it says, And Nathan said to David, Thou art the man. Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I anointed thee king over Israel, and I delivered thee out of the hand of Saul, and I gave thee thy master's house and thy master's wives into thy bosom, and gave thee the house of Israel and of Judah. And if that had been too little, I would moreover have given unto thee such and such things. Basically saying, I'd, I would have given you basically almost anything that you'd wanted. Wherefore, hast thou despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? Thou hast killed Uriah the Hittite with a sword, and hast taken his wife to be thy wife, and hast slain him with the sword of the children of Ammon. Now therefore the sword shall never depart from thine house, because thou hast despised me, and hast taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be thy wife. Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against thee out of thine own house. And I will take thy wives before thine eyes and give them unto thy neighbor. And he shall lie with thy wives in the sight of, the, of this son. And for, for thou didst, didst it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the son. And David said unto Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said unto David, The Lord also hath put away thy sin. Thou shalt not die. Howbeit, because by this deed thou hast given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child also that is born unto thee shall surely die. And Nathan departed in, unto his house, and the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife bare unto David. And it was very sick, and David therefore besought God for the child. And David fasted and went in and lay all night upon the earth. And the elders of his house arose and went to him to raise him up from the earth, but he would not. Neither did he eat bread with them. And it came to pass on the seventh day that the child died. And the servants of David feared to tell him that the child was dead. For they said, Behold, while the child was yet alive, we spake unto him, and he would not hearken unto our voice. How will he then vex himself if we tell him that the child is dead? But when David saw that his servants whispered, David perceived that the child was dead. Therefore David said unto his servants, Is the child dead? And they said, He is dead. Then David arose from the earth and washed and anointed himself and changed his apparel and came into the house of the Lord and worshiped. Then he came to his own house, and when he required, they set bread before him, and he did eat. Then his servant said unto him, What thing is this that thou hast done? Thou didst fast and weep for the child while it was alive, but when the child was dead, thou didst rise and eat, and eat bread. And he said, While the child was yet alive, I fasted and wept, for I said, Who can tell whether God will be gracious to me that the child may live, but now he is dead. Wherefore I shall, wherefore should I fast? Can I bring him, back, bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. And David comforted Bathsheba and his wife, and went in unto her and lay with her, and she bare a son, and called his name Solomon. And the Lord loved him, and he sent by the hand of Nathan the prophet, and he called his name Jedidiah because of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you bless this morning. Holy Spirit of God, please guide my mind, my thoughts. Lord, I've got to speak quickly, so I need your help desperately to make this clear. And Holy Spirit of God, I yield myself to thee completely and totally. Dear God, I ask you to put your arms around this place. Please guide us, protect us, Lord. Please open the, our hearts and ears, and Lord, you can do that as you as you bind the, the evil one that would try to speak in our ears and try to close our ears. Lord, I pray, please, that you do that in the name of Jesus. Amen. This is an amazing passage revealing judgment and forgiveness and grace. 
In this world, in this America, where we, we're only, and this is it's hard to believe, and it's so sad, but only 46%, 46% of children grow up in what's called a traditional heterosexual home. There's great abuse and hurt occurring in the homes today. What I'm going to speak about this morning is, if it's a title to it, I'm not sure it's really a title, but the, the title, like, it, it, this is for the one who has been hurt. And for the one who has suffered injustice. And I want to, I want to try to, to show you something, what I believe is amazing in this passage of scripture. But often when someone is abused or molested, they will develop guilt feelings. It's also very common for those who have been abused to blame God. Often people begin thinking and asking, why would God allow this to happen to me? That's probably the most common statement when somebody's been hurt. Or they may simply start believing that God is judging them for the abuse, even though they did not cause it, nor could they have prevented it. Somehow they feel guilty for it. These kind of feelings bring forth the open door to the lies that will enter the mind, and those lies are these kinds of lies. God does not love me. God does not care what happens to me. God is not fair. God is not just, God is not right. That's what begins to happen in the mind. We just automatically, somehow, those lies start to come in, my, come in our heads because God can't love me if he allowed this to happen. God can't, uh, uh, he can't really care about me. God can't, this is not fair, so God can't be fair. Uh, God, this is not just, so God can't be just. This is not right, so surely God's not right. And, and the blame starts to hit at God and and. And this is going to be a little, not a little, this is going to be a lot different kind of, kind of message this morning. So please focus in and try to, try to hear what I've got to say. But I want to make a few basic, just kind of factual statements really quickly. And then I'm going to just run through this. But God, number one, God gave man free will. And if man is to have free will, he must be allowed wrong choices. You understand, if we're going to have free will... Then, we, then inside of free will, we've got to be allowed to, have, to make wrong choices. Number two, free will of man always affects others. You know, no man is an island. You, you, the decisions you make are going to affect other people. God is not for sin or pleased with sin. Please get that. God is not for sin or pleased with sin. Man chose sin, and sin will always affect others. God is omnipotent and omniscient. And he sees from a perspective we cannot see. Now, this is just kind of factual statements. I'm trying to lay a foundation. God is omnipotent and omniscient, and he sees from a perspective we cannot see. God is eternal, and he sees from an eternal perspective, and man sees from a temporal perspective. God punishes sin, but it's in God's timing, not man's. That's something else that we've got to grasp. God punishes sin, but it's in God's timing, not our timing. God, uh, God sees our eternal being and therefore sees everything in an eternal perspective, but man only sees the temporal life. And that's why we so quickly want to judge God. Uh, when I was talking to my wife yesterday, and, and as we were talking about a scripture, it's, it suddenly hit me. This, and I'll probably preach on it more extended, but judge not that you be not judged, and it suddenly hit me. You know who we judge the most and therefore bring judgment upon ourselves? We judge God. It's always applied to don't judge somebody else, but judge not that you be not judged. You know who we need to be careful of judging? Judging God. 
God gives grace in the most adverse situations if we'll receive it. God's ready to give grace in the, in the most horrible situations. So often we're not ready to receive the grace. God should not and cannot be judged by man. To reject God because he does not act according to our approval is to make ourselves God. To make God act the way we want him to act takes away his godhood. He, he's no longer God if he's got to comply to us. If God is to fit every man's idea and perspective of him, then he will be schizophrenic. A multiple personality God. A God of confusion. We have one of those already. He's called Satan. He's a God of this world and he thrives on confusion for he is confusion personified. God does not come down to man's thinking. Man must yield to God's thinking. And I'm going to keep beating this thing to death. The, th the number one problem in Christianity today, and I'm not talking about the world, the problem with Christianity is today is, is that we decide what we believe rather than let the Word of God tell us what to believe. We must understand that God is always good, always just, and always right. You know what, if, if you didn't get anything else out of this, this, this morning, and, and, I, and I love, I look back there at Miss Peggy. You know what, Miss Peggy, uh, you've been an encouragement to me through everything that you've been through here recently because that's been her attitude. You know what her attitude has been? God is good, God is just, God is right. Amen. The biblical story we just read and we just went through it is a sad story, but it's a true story. And it's one God relays to us. This story is of a wonderful king who made a horrible decision and then compounded that decision with, with more horrible decisions. Now, honestly, you might want to leave out of here, and if you want to read through about three chapters of the Bible, I think it would be good for you after you left from here today to read back through this and kind of see it. But you might want to read the whole story. But what you see is that David the king makes a series of decisions that will bring heartache and judgment to his life and to his family. David, the king, decided not to fulfill his responsibility as king as he stayed home. If you look back in 2 you don't have to do it now, but look back in 2 Samuel chapter 11. That's where you ought to start reading if, if you leave from here today. But it came to pass after the year was expired at the time when kings go forth to battle that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they destroyed the children of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David tarried still at Jerusalem. Now, we don't know why David tarried, but it's a, he's the king, and it's the time when kings go forth to battle, but he didn't go. And why did he tarry? We're not absolutely sure, but it does say that he was in bed late in the day. It's in the evening tide. He's in, he rises from his bed, and so maybe he's weary. Maybe he's discouraged. Maybe he's already in a, has lust in his heart. Maybe that's why he stayed back. David decides to go on his rooftop during a time when people might bathe. This, is not, this was the norm at, at that, that place in time. And he goes on his rooftop at a time when people might bathe on their rooftops. And he saw a beautiful woman bathing. He could have looked away. He could have walked back inside, but he did not. I want you to notice this. In, in 2 Samuel eleven four. 4, it's a, it's a, the way it's phrased, if, it's very important. But David sent men to take her. Not to ask her, but to take her. 2 Samuel 11 forces, and David sent messengers and took her. 
And she came in unto him, and he lay with her, for she was purified from her uncleanness, and she returned unto her house. This seems to clearly indicate she had no choice in the matter. Sadly, we find in verse 5, the woman Bathsheba is now with child. Verse 5 says the woman conceived and sent and told David and said, I am with child. This leads David to his next horrible decision. And boy, hang with me on this. I know this is just a lot of information, but, but it's going to go someplace here. And the, verse 15, he wrote the letter saying, Set Uriah in the forefront of the hottest battle and retire you from him that he may be smitten and die. So the next decision David's going to make is that now he's been with a man's wife and now that <clears throat> woman is with child and now he's going to murder her husband by sending him to the forefront of the battle. So David has her husband murdered. These are two horrible decisions that he's made. Now, it says again from Scripture, it seems clear that none of this is Bathsheba's desire. For verse 26 says, And when the wife of Uriah heard that her husband, that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she mourned for her husband. He took her, David took her. Now she mourns for her husband. I think it's, it's evidence there that she she was, this, she's not choosing this direction. David then sends for her again, and now he marries her, and she bears him a son. That, that was the result of his sin. And when the morning was passed, verse 27 was passed, David sent and fetched her to his house, and she became his wife and bare him a son. But the thing David had done displeased the Lord. And so now the, this child is being born. Now, notice this all displeased the Lord. Understand, sin displeases God. Okay? Sin displeases God. So don't blame God for man's choices. Why would God allow it if it displeased him? Why? Because God has given man free will. David, in his free will, chose to sin. This leads us to the passage of Scripture where Nathan tells David, what he has done. 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 1. It says that, if we just back it up a little bit from where we started in verse 7, it says, The Lord sent Nathan unto David, and he came unto him and said unto him, There were two men in one city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had exceeding many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing, save one little ewe lamb, which he had brought and nursed up, and it grew up together with him and with his children, and did eat of his own meat, and drank of his own cup, and lay in his bosom, and it was un under him as a daughter. And, and there came a traveler unto the rich man, and he spared to take of his own flock, and of his own herd, to dress for the wayfaring man that was come unto him, but took the poor man's lamb, and dressed it for the man that was come to him. And listen to what it says. And David's anger was greatly kindled against the man and said to Nathan, As the Lord liveth, the man that hath done this thing shall surely die. Because then this story that Nathan is telling, uh, one man had all kinds uh, of lamb that he could, he could have killed, that he could have offered, but he goes and takes this one lamb from this one poor man, this one that he loved so much, and he said, verse 6, and he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Always amazes me there. He said he should surely die and he shall restore it fourfold. I hope he restores it before he dies. And so, y'all don't get that, do you? But that, I always look at those kind of things. But Nathan, the prophet, points the finger of conviction and judgment at David as he says to David, verse 7, Nathan said to David, thou art the man. 
So they're going through all this story. We're going through all this story so we can see it. And Nathan goes through this illustration so he can bring to David to, so David can see in his heart what he has really done. But what David has done is much greater than even the illustration. Now, God makes it clear what he feels about all that has happened. And it begins in verse 9. It says, Wherefore thou hast despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight, Thou hast killed Uriah the Hittite with a sword and hast taken his wife to be thy wife and hast slain him with the sword of the children of Ammon. Now therefore the sword shall never depart from thine house because thou despisest me and hast taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be thy wife. And he goes on, of course, and tells him there's evil going to be in his house and different things. You see, God is not for sin. Amen? Amen. God is not for the sin. God's not for the abuse. God is not for the hurt that has taken place. And, and, you know, I don't know who I'm talking to here this morning, but listen, in the society that we live in, if you have not been hurt, you know somebody who has. If you've not been hurt and you don't know somebody who has, if you will care about people enough, you will come across somebody who has. And you've got to be able to encourage them because, listen to me, especially people outside this building, but sadly, even inside the buildings like this, people still blame God and still accuse God and still cry out, why, God, how could you love me if you allow this to happen to me? And somebody's got to be able to show them that this is not, that God is not for what happened to you. He's not for sin. He's not for abuse. He's not for hurt. And he will bring judgment upon sin. The scripture says, be sure your sin will find you out. Scripture's still true. That's Old Testament. Uh, Your sin will find you out. And so uh, let that be a warning to us, folks. Secret sin is not secret to God. The one right decision David makes in this story is verse 13. And David said unto Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said unto David, the Lord also hath put away thy sin. Thou shalt not die. Now he makes, you know, the right reaction here, and this is where forgiveness comes in. You know, the truth is, no matter how bad you've messed up, if you will fess up to God and admit it, God is willing to forgive you. Do you understand that? I mean, I, how far you've fallen or whatever you've done. The truth is, if you will just look to God as David did and say, I have sinned against the Lord, he'll forgive. He will forgive. Now, here's the fallacy that we have. We think that once he forgives, that all repercussions of sin are wiped away. Folks, that's not true. It's just not true. And, 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 and I'll be honest with you. I wish it was. But it's not. Nevertheless, there is a price to be paid. Verse 14 says, Howbeit, because by this deed thou hast given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. And it's holding up a sermon there. But, but God brings judgment to us. And we suffer a penalty even after we're forgiven And it's not because we need to continue to suffer the punishment, really. We've we've confessed it, and we've been forgiven. It's it's smite the scorner so the simple will be wise. 
God sometimes has to do, allow some things to take place because everybody else that is viewed the sin. All right. This is again, this again is where our human minds, it says, thou uh, born unto thee, uh, I'm sorry, howbeit because of the deed thou hast given occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child also that is born unto thee shall surely die. Now, this is where our minds start to struggle. This is humanity. This is the, the tenderness of our hearts. Watch this now. David said, I'm sorry. And God says, okay, it's put away. You're not going to die. But your child will. Okay, just let's be honest. Is there any, in, in anybody a little flash of, that's not fair? Come on, y'all. I mean, okay, it's just like, ah, he did it, right? So our humanity says, he did it, he should pay the price, right? Child didn't do anything. This is where we struggle. David does all this and says, I'm sorry, and he lives, but the child dies. We struggle to grasp the justice. How can this be right? Now, whether you'll admit it or not, that kind of comes into our heads. Again, we must be careful understanding that, listen to this now, that we think on the temporal plane, God sees and thinks on the eternal. And this is where our problem is. We think how everything is affected by this life right here and right now. You know, what I have to do when I read this and that little twinge comes into my heart, I have, this is what I have to do. I have to think about that the greatest life is probably the one that lives and experiences no sin and wickedness of this world yet enters eternity in heaven. You know, I hate abortion. And I think that it's murder. But watch this. That child goes straight to heaven and never suffers the sin of this world. This child that died in eternity, in the eternal view, this is not a bad thing. This is a wonderful thing that he goes to heaven. We can't grasp it because we see everything in the temporal, the here and now. Finally, the judgment and grace comes. The judgment of David, David's judgment will be lifelong. And that's what we want to look at. David's judgment is going to be lifelong. He's forgiven, but the penalty for what he's done, and folks, it's going to be lifelong because what he's done is pretty serious. He's committed adultery. And he's murdered. Now, if this doesn't show you that you have a God that will use you in spite of you, not because of you. You know, there's a lot of people just think, God, man, God's going to use me because of me. And I say to them all the time, no, God used you in spite of you. Because we're all sinners. But boy, if God will use this man, continue to use this man after what he's done. Now, understand, he confessed it. He admitted it, but God still used him, and it's an amazing thing. It's almost mind, even that is almost mind-boggling. 
But the judgment of David, David's judgment will be lifelong even though God will continue to use him through his repentance. The judgment will still have to be endured. God can and will forgive but still allow the judgment that has been levied. And that's, we've got to understand that. Now, David loses his son. This is judgment. David will experience death and rebellion in his family. This is continued lifelong judgment. Verse 10 says, Now therefore the sword shall never depart from thine house, because thou hast despised me, and hast taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be thy wife. Verse 11, Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against thee out of thine own house. Remember Absalom? And, and, and I will take thy wives before thine eyes. Remember Absalom? And give them unto thy neighbor. And he shall lie with thy wives in the sight of the sun. This all takes place if you continue to read through the story of David's life. But there's another person in the story. This is what all of this is leading up to. There's another person in the story. So now everybody that's going to sleep, wake up now. Okay? You understood all the rest of the story, and you've read it 9,000 times. And you say, Brother Hooker, why are you reading all this? Because not everybody's read it 9,000 times. And I want everybody to kind of grasp where we are in this story. But there's another person in this story. And I want you to see this now. This person is a person that God shows grace. Verse 24 says, And David comforted Bathsheba his wife and went in unto her and lay with her and she bare a son. And he called his name Solomon. And the Lord loved him, and he sent by the hand of Nathan the prophet and called his name Jedidiah because of the Lord. Now, Jedidiah by definition, of course, Jedidiah is Solomon. But that name means beloved of Jehovah. And that's not the name that she chose. That's the name that the prophet chose. Beloved of Jehovah. Now listen to this. What we see is a loving God that does not condone sin, but a God who will forgive sin. We see that. We see a loving God that has grace and mercy for the one who is harmed, though. David's family will suffer. But please look at this. David's family is going to suffer, but never Solomon and Bathsheba. See, all the rest of David's family is going to suffer. They're going to suffer murder. They're going to suffer death. They're going to suffer rebellion. They're going to suffer, but not Bathsheba and Solomon. David's son will die, but not Bathsheba's son. Her infant son, let watch this. This is, we, we in, in, our, in our temporal view, we think it's a problem, but, but she has two sons. One son's in heaven. Without ever suffering anything, the other son is king, will become king. If you've been abused, suffered, hurt, please understand you may be suffering from the consequences of judgment on the perpetrator. You see, she did lose the first child, but it wasn't a judgment against her, it was a judgment against David. And she suffers some consequences. And she suffers some heartache. Again, in God's sight, this is not suffering because he just took that child home. God's, that child is still with God. But sometimes you are suffering, and watch, it's not your fault. 
but you're enduring some things. The consequences of judgment on the perpetrators sometimes make us believe that we cannot and are not being blessed. But the truth is, even though she's suffering the consequences of the perpetrator, she's still going to be blessed. The scripture does not illustrate it, but it seems apparent that Bathsheba kept her heart toward God and looked to a God that would bless and give grace to her life. You see what happens here? It's an amazing thing, but we've got David that is making horrible decisions. David that stays home from battle. David that walks on his roof. David that looks at a woman. Instead of turning away and walking away, he looks at her. He lusts after her. He sins after her. They take her. They bring her to him. He, He abuses her. He sends her back done with her, but then finds out that she's going to have a baby and now he's going to murder her husband to do away with this whole incident, somehow wash it away, but nothing, no sin is in secret to God. Nathan the prophet comes and tells a story and all this is told to him and, and, and David sees and David realizes and thank God that David said, I have sinned. I was wrong. I've done wrong. It's wicked and it's evil. And I have sinned. And God says, I hear your repentance. And you know what he says? I put away your sin. But the repercussions still come. David, you're forgiven. And David, I'm going to continue to use you. And David, you're not going to die, which means I'm going to continue. If you're still living, God can still use you. And so he said, I'm going to use you. But all along now, there's great suffering, the death of this infant child. There's, there's the, 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 the rape and abuse and death of a son and, and rebellion and another death of a son. And so much is going on in the life of David. But Bathsheba and Solomon are being blessed. And I want you to understand, that woman suffered greatly. And I don't think we realize what she had to endure. Because I believe as I read scripture, she loved her husband. I don't believe she chose any of this. And that's what's happening in a lot of the homes of America. A lot of young people, a lot of people are suffering. And truthfully, they're in an environment of judgment because sadly, most of the homes, there is not repentance. There's a continuation of the sin which continues and uh, just exponentially increases the judgment and the punishment that must be endured. And they're living in it. I'm trying to tell you that according to what I, I read, that even in those horrible situations, God can still bless. God can give grace. God can touch a life in a miraculous way to spare that life. I guess what I'm trying to say this morning is If you're suffering that way, 
if you had to endure that, if you, it's of your past and you're, you're struggling to let go of, let me just tell you, your grace is coming. If it's, it's really already there. Even if you are in this moment in the, in the heartache of someone else's judgment, your grace is coming. It's available. And I, I want so bad, it's kind of tying into last week's, but, but there's so much hurt and abuse, and there's so much. When 46%, only 46% of our children are growing up in a normal home. And that's just where two live together. Really, we're not saying what condition, condition those homes are even in. But we're in a mess. Families are in a mess. The abuse, it's right now one, believe it or not, one out of three, it says right now, one out of three young girls will be molested. One out of three. One out of five boys. And you know what they do? They carry this hurt and this accusation toward God. Because they're, yes, they're in an environment of judgment. Bathsheba lived as she, in the, there in the kingdom, and she watched all the rebellion. She watched all the things go through. But somehow, the only time you see her mentioned, really, is when she's coming to David for her son to fulfill the promise of being king. And he becomes king. She is blessed. And God can bless you in the evening. I told you it's a little bit different, a little bit more thinking kind of message, but... And I, and I went through it very fast, but I, but I beg you, don't give up. Don't give up. And, and if you carry the memories, if you carry the heartache, I, I'm going to just ask you, come see one of us. My wife and I both counsel. We, let, us, let us try to help you. Let's work through this thing. Let's take the scripture and work through this thing because you don't have to carry that hurt. You don't have to, to, to carry that, that crying out of why, God. Listen, if we can ever shift from saying why, God, to saying what, God. Instead of saying why, God, why does this have to happen to me? Why would you allow this to me? How can you love me? Don't you say, Father, what do you want me to learn? all I'm going through. God can still bless. God can give grace. Father, I pray that you bless. Lord Jesus, thank you for your love and your goodness. Lord, this is a wonderful group of people, and a lot of people here have been in church for a long time, and the Bridger family's in church, and, and praise God, many of them's in many ways exempt, in a sense, from a lot of what I'm talking about today, but the world in which we're trying to reach has been bombarded with that, and sadly, even in our own church, our churches, 
it still happens. We're not exempt in the sense that it can't happen. We may, may have been saved from it. Lord, I pray, please, this morning that you would bless. Father, I pray that there's someone here that maybe even the hurt and the abuse and the, and the anger and the bitterness has maybe kept them from fully trusting Christ. Maybe they struggle knowing they're for sure they're going to heaven or, or receiving Christ as Savior simply because they just don't know that they want to trust a God who allowed this to happen to them. Father, I pray that please this morning that your Holy Spirit that you would touch and you would convict and you would bring them to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and, and give them hope in this life. And Father, if there's those here that even on this 4th of July weekend and a lot of people are gone, but if they would uh, uh, feel like they've been saved but they need to be baptized, Lord, I, I, we'd love to be able to talk to them about that. And I challenge you, if that's you and you've been saved but you've never followed the Lord and believers baptism, we'd love for you to come. But if, if, Father, if there's some here this morning that that uh, uh, that that need to, to join a church like this, Lord, I pray that you might touch their heart if this is the place. Lord, we don't want them to be here if you don't want them here. But, Lord, if you want them here, we want them here. So, Lord, I pray that you might touch their heart this morning. Lord, but especially this morning, you might just help us to be a help to others uh, by the Scripture, by the truths that we learn. And, and Lord, if there's somebody here hurting, that we might uh, uh, come and, and pray and, and turn this over to you and, and maybe may even be willing to just come for counsel. And, and Lord, maybe we know someone who's been hurt and we could pray for them. Lord, I pray that you bless this invitation this morning, please. Let's all stand with heads bowed and eyes closed. And as she plays this morning, we'll take a few moments for the invitation. If you'd like to use this altar, if you'd like to come. If you don't know for sure if you died, you go to heaven. This is the time that you could come. Somebody could take the scripture and show you how you could know 100% sure you're going to heaven. If you struggle with the past, I just want you to know that, that God can give grace. God forgives and God can give grace in all that we go through. God can bless. But if you don't know for sure, please, please come. If you could just come up at me for a moment. I, uh, as the people that have been coming here for a while, you kind of understand this. I don't have a style. I uh, sometimes do a Sunday night message on Sunday morning. This morning uh, it was more of a kind of a Wednesday night study than it was a Sunday morning service. But, but I just felt 
we need to do that. I would love for you to come tonight. Um, tonight I'm going to be talking about relationships, in, uh, especially parent-child relationships. And uh, we're going to be using the same story, but then some additional scripture. We won't go through all this scripture again, but the same basic story, a portion of it. Uh, but then we're going to use another portion of scripture uh, that's going to show right relationships and wrong relationships and how important it is, is that we have the right relationship, how detrimental it is to have the wrong relationship. And so I'll be talking about that at 6 o'clock uh, tonight. If you could be here tonight, my wife. Was there somebody to be baptized? Oh, okay. Uh, if you can be seated, we're going to have a baptism, and it won't take long because uh, I'm a quick change artist. Let's take our hymn books, if you would, and let's turn to hymn 397. Little is much when God is in it. 397. In the harvest field now ripen, there's a work for all to do. Hark, the voice of God is calling to the harvest calling you. Little is much when God is in it, labor not for wealth or fame. There's a crown and you can win it. If you'll go in Jesus' name, does the place you're called to labor seem so small and little known? It is great if God is in it, and he'll not forget his own. Little is much when God is in it, labor not for wealth or fame. There's a crown and you can win it if you'll go in Jesus' name. Are you laid aside from service, body worn and toll and care? You can still be in the battle in the sacred place of prayer. Little is much when God is in it labor not for wealth or fame there's a crown and you can win it if you'll go in jesus name
stand and will be dismissed. Lord, and we do thank you for your word. Lord, thank you for the teaching that we had this morning. Lord, thank you for our pastor that uh, loves this community, loves this church, loves us. Lord, thank you for him. Lord, now we ask you to bless us as we go. In Jesus' name, amen. You are dismissed.